0: Get your Bibles out. The book of Habakkuk. I like the attitude of that little hippie girl prayed through in Missouri several years ago. She'd only had the Holy Ghost about two weeks. She came to a Sunday morning service, and on her way in the building, she passed one of those 30 year saints. Been in church a long time. She said, Are you going to? The hippie asked, the older saint said, are you going to shout this morning? And 30-year saint said, well, whoa, 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 uh, uh, I don't know. She said, well, would you mind holding my baby because I know I'm going to shout today. <laughs> When's the last time you went to church and said, I know I'm going to shout tonight? may have heard this one too but I like it I tell it all the time that new convert had the Holy Ghost just a few weeks her husband did not like it at all and he just told her you're not going to church tonight she said oh yeah I'm going to church she went in was getting dressed she came out in the hall and he stand out at the end of the hall with a pistol he said you ain't going to church tonight he raised that pistol up and cocked her back she looked at him smiled said if you pull that trigger I'm going to heaven and if you don't I'm going to church walked right on by him you got to get a little something down on the inside. It's Friday night. It's the last night. It's time to get everything that we can get tonight. Habakkuk chapter 3. Thank you for the invitation to all of the sponsors of this meeting. Thank you for the room. Nice basket food. All kind remarks. All the nice things you've done, Brother Calhoun, Brother Jones. Brother Johnson, Brother Pixler, just been an outstanding uh, committee to host this. My friends that are here, Brother McKillop, tremendous, tremendous man of God. Brother Johnny Burgess, I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to. Is he here tonight? Where is he? There he is. Man, we was in the middle of a revival down there in the Springs, and he is such an amazing guy. He's very humble. He can do a lot of things. And he won't. He'll make you think he can't, but he can. Man we was having a good revival, and I was preaching one night, and that microphone was giving me fits. It just wouldn't work at all. And uh, some of the people here tonight that were still there in that revival, all of a sudden, I just got so aggravated, and Brother Johnson was aggravated, and he was talking about the microphone. I was talking about the microphone. Brother John Johnny Berger was sitting up there on that platform just as cool as ice. And all of a sudden, I got aggravated that microphone I just took it through it I didn't throw it hard but I just threw it to him I said fix that grabbed another one kept on going he was so smooth he snatched that mic right out of the air brought it back over to me and I just I turned and looked at him I said Captain Marvel hallelujah kind of stuck on him for a while he shed it now but that's that's the Pentecostal superhero over there brother Burgess didn't he do good today Amen. Good to see my friend, Brother Ballestero, come in tonight. I'd rather be with Ballestero than anybody. He is so fun. Whether you're riding motorcycles, going to church, whatever. Martin Ballestero. Now it's Marshall Ballestero, but it used to be Martin Ballestero. But now it's Federal Marshall Ballestero. Amen. Good to be with him tonight. And uh, Brother Riggin, God bless you. These men write blogs, Brother Ballestero. Just celebrated a one-year anniversary on his blog. If you're into that, I don't know if you're a pastor to preach against Internet, then don't read it. But if he doesn't preach against the Internet, <laughs> read his blog. Just passed his one-year anniversary, and over 90,000, 000, 90,000 000 people have logged on and read his blog. What a tremendous contribution to the apostolic world. <laughs> read it. It's good stuff. Brother Riggin fired up a couple months ago. He's writing now, and these two men are apostolic to the core. You owe it to yourself uh, to read their information. Praise the Lord. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shigeonoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord. Revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. My subject title tonight is that word in verse number one, kind of an oddball word. I shouldn't say it's a holy Bible, kind of an unusual word. (laughs) Shigilnoth. It's not exactly a word we use all the time. Shigionoth. Put that on the screen up there. Let's see how it looks for a title. Put the word Shigionoth. Check that out. That'll make you pop. Uh, That'll make you. Shigionoth. Hallelujah. I'm going to disappoint all the negativists tonight. I'm going to make all the people that believe the church is going down mad tonight. I just happen to believe we're in the middle of a bunch of Holy Ghost young people that are not going to let nothing down. They're not going to. They plan on living for God. They plan on living holy. They plan on living right. Turn around and fist bump four or five people and say, Help the guy preach tonight. Then you can be seated. Mr. Sound Man, did you get that other word fixed up for me? That did you get that Mr Mr. Media Man? Check that word out right there. Dithyram. <laughs> Check that out. <laughs> Just leave don't leave it up there all night, but leave it up there for a few minutes, okay? I wouldn't recommend naming your second child this. Or everybody that meets you will look the way you're looking at me right now. Dithiram. <laughs> if you would happen to use a strong's concordance and click on the word shiganoth, it would tell you. That siganoth is a Dithyram. Now that would help, wouldn't it? Trying to figure out what a siganoth is and it says, simple, it's a Dithyram. So I probably need to help you a little bit and tell you what a Dithyram is. A Dithyram is a wildly enthusiastic speech or piece of writing or a passionate hymn, song. So Shigonoth is a dithyram and a dithyram is when you get excited about what you're saying and what you're singing kind of like the choir did a while ago when they were shooting the lights out. They were singing and people were jumping and bucking and shouting and worshiping the Lord. It was a dithyram. It was a wildly enthusiastic response to a song. You know what sets us apart? Is we not only live holy, but we get excited about some things that nobody else gets excited about. Now, you can be seated. I know these minor prophets, they're kind of like hard to understand. Some of them even hard to say. And you read them while you're eating your Captain Crunch for breakfast. Because you're supposed to read the Bible. And you're like, I don't have the foggiest idea what that guy's talking about. And Habakkuk is different even among these 12 men that are called the minor prophets. Even among them, he's weird in a good way. <laughs> these 12 originally, when they came out, it was just one book. You know, after you get through with the major prophets, the guys that impacted their world with their prophecy Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel are considered major prophets. Major because of how much they wrote and how big their subject was and how long their ministry lasted, etc. And these guys are called minor prophets. There's 12 of them, and uh, Hosea, Amos, Joel, Obadiah, Jonah, Mark, and Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. These guys, they they, they put them all in one book because they didn't really feel like, they felt like they just kind of homogenized. And then after a while, somebody said, you know, let's separate them out. So they did, and when you open your Bible today, they're in there individually. This particular guy by the name of Habakkuk is really an interesting character. First of all, we're not quite sure when he lived. How would you feel if you were eminently famous, but nobody knew when you were born? A little bit of a down. Some men say that he was the son of the Shunammite woman in Second Kings chapter 4 and verse number 16. We don't know that for sure. They say that because the root of his name. And a lot of these Bible characters has a lot to do about their name. And they say that the root of his name means embrace. And whatever this was worth, when you double the last letter, then it doubles the meaning. And so they say not only was he embraced by his mama... But he was embraced by the prophet when he was restored to life on that bed of death. When she chased the prophet down, wrapped her arms around his feet, and said, I'm not letting go until you come. And he came, stretched himself upon the child, breathed into his mouth, and he came back to life. Now, I don't know, because they also say that was Jonah, and I don't think Habakkuk and Jonah are the same person. Others say that he lived a whole lot later. That would have been about 800 BC, and I'm in this camp, that he lived around 600 when Jeremiah was preaching, and that he lived into part of the captivity and he died two years before the return of Babylon, and that's what the Jewish people say. Other commentators say that he lived during the days of Manasseh that I mentioned to you today. But regardless of when he lived, his book is an incredible statement because it is what's called. A theodicy. And a theodicy is a statement, a writing, or a song that defends God's goodness. It's a statement that says, I don't care what you think. I don't care what anybody says. God is good. Don't talk to me about the circumstances of your life. Don't talk to me about your grandmother or Bishop Flip-Flop. I don't want to hear it. I'm just here to tell you that no matter what you can bring up, no matter what you can point to, God is good. That's what his book is all about. In your face, evil. In your face, devil. God is good. All the time. All the time, God is good. That's what this book's all about. Oh, yeah. Thank you. And it's unique because most preachers, prophets, speak to people. He doesn't. He just talks to God. He never preaches to anybody. His book is only two questions and then a song. That's it. But it's in your Bible. And God saw fit to put it in your Bible because it has a pertinent purpose and reason for being there. He says, God, I got a couple of questions. God answers his questions, and then he has no more questions, and he writes a song. The song that he wrote is in the form of a prayer, and it's in chapter number three that I read to you tonight. He says a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigeonoth. Shigeonoth. A Shigionoth prayer is a prayer of intense feeling. It's a prayer or a song, for you also find this in the prelude in chapter 7 or the 7th psalm. When David is singing about being delivered from the hand of Cush, who has traced him for 20 years. David is saying... That one that chased me for 20 years and has finally moved off the scene and is no longer a threat to my life, I'm going to sing a song about him. But it won't be a casual song. It won't just be a clap your hand, namby pambi song. But it will be a song of intense devotion. It'll be a song of intense desire. It'll be a shitting off song. That means you got something to sing about and you're not willing to just stand there with a deadpan look on your face but you're going to sing it with everything you've got. That's what a Shiganoff song's all about. And Habakkuk said, God is good. I'm here to tell you, it don't matter what the Babylonians are doing, God is good. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter what the rest of the world thinks, God is good. It doesn't matter what Nebuchadnezzar is doing. It doesn't matter what the Babylonians doing God is good. <laughs> and every one of us can sing that song tonight. Every one of us can say, God is good. Thank you. In the the last part of his song, down in verse number 17, he, he wraps it up. You know, you save your best punch for the end of the song. That's what they tell me. I haven't written any songs. I wrote one poem one time it was pretty bad (laughs) about a tugboat (laughs) it was so corny i found it the other day i was 14 when i wrote it the little tugboat was so sad (laughs) because he couldn't go out and sail the sea (laughs) but when all the big ships came back the little tugboat got to go out and pull them in (laughs) it was stupid Ranks right up there with that one brother Urshan wrote to Sister Urshan. Your hands are so chubby and cute. It makes my heart go loop-de-loop. <laughs> <laughs> Apologize to the Urshan family and heirs, praise the Lord, but it was a funny little poem. But at the bottom of this, when he gets to the end of it, verse number 17. Now he's singing. And he's singing with feeling, and he's feeling with, singing with emotion, and he says in verse 17, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fall or fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice. Yet I will rejoice. I'm not a scholar. I couldn't order a hot dog in a Hebrew restaurant. But I'm telling you, I know how to go to Strong's and click on that. And that word rejoice means to leap. It means to enjoy. He said, it may not be what I want it to be. We may not be having the kind of revival that I want. But I'm telling you what, God's still good and I'm going to rejoice. I will rejoice, I will leap for joy, because God is good. And then he said, I will joy in the God of my salvation. And that word joy, you probably won't like this one very much. Jumping's bad enough. But joy means to spin around. You know what he's saying? He said, God, what are these Babylonians doing? They're coming in there with all their swords, carrying your people into captivity. God said, that ain't none of your business. I'll use whoever I want to carry you into captivity. Thank you, Jesus. And then he asked him question number two, in chapter number two. And when he's done, he says, okay, God, no problem. I'm going to sing a song of Sugar North, and i tell you when I get to the end of it, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to jump. I'm going to joy. I will spin. I will let the world know that my God is good no matter what. When there's nothing in the stall. When there's nothing on the vine. Somebody can rejoice. I don't praise him because of the check in the mail. I praise him because of who he is. Give your neighbor a high five and say "Shiganoth." Good. You may be seated. You may be seated. I'm getting too old for this kind of stuff. I needed the dreaded, I need the dreaded E word, exercise. Praise God. The value of a song, Always. compounded, lifted by the circumstances of the song. It's one thing for God to sing about being thankful when his pockets are full of money. Everything's going good. And quite another to write a song when everything's going bad. And so the the setting of the song, very, very important. It means a lot to me. That little psalm that we quote so often, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And we say it and we mean it. Thank God for it. But when I discovered when David wrote that song. Put it in a different plane. David was running for his life. He couldn't escape any longer. He went down into a foreign country. Took his mom and dad. hid him away somewhere. He was in such a bad way. He acted crazy in front of the foreign king. Acted like he was retarded and out of his mind. And slobber coming out of his mouth. And the king said, get that guy out of here. We don't want him around here. And he went to the cave of Abdullah. And he was by himself. And there was nobody there. And he's sitting in the cold confines of of loneliness and despair and his life dreams are ashes around his feet and he has nothing to look forward to and he reaches over and picks up his pen and looks at that cold dark cave and the flickering shadows on the wall from the fire and he says let me just tell you something world I will bless the Lord at all times I will his praise shall continually be in my mouth That makes that song so much more powerful. Yeah, you're wonderful. Be seated. And the reason this song is so wonderful is Habakkuk is looking back down a nation of immense tragedy. To my calculations, let's give all you Bible scholars something to talk about after church. To my calculations, 1,000. 295 years before this, a nomad had received a call from the Lord and said, Leave your family, leave your home, and go to the land that I will call you. 1295 years before the date of this writing, Abraham had walked out of Ur of the Chaldees. And when Habakkuk looked back down through 13 centuries, when he looked down through that 1300 years and 895 years before this time, nine centuries, and he saw the track record of his nation. He saw the time of the judges, 400 and some years. He saw the monarchy of Saul, David, and Solomon. He saw the monarchy of the northern kingdom with 19 kings and 200 years and not a single good king among them. He saw the idolatry of Jeroboam the second, the golden cast, Ahab, Jezebel, all of that stuff. He saw the failure of the southern nation of Judah. He saw Manasseh. He saw all of that. And when it was all done, and he looked back and couldn't see anything but smoke and haze and debris and ashes and failure that's when he looked up to God and said I've got a song Lord it's a singing off that's what it is and I'm going to tell you what I'm going to sing God revive thy work come on Jesus when nobody thinks it can be done when nobody believes we can have a revival revive thy work. When it hadn't worked for 900 years, when it hadn't worked for 1300 years, revive. That's why I like this guy. He said God's good. God's good. Revive thy work. I wish somebody would get a sugar off down in their heart and go home to your local assembly and say we ain't never had revival like we want but God's good and we're going to sing our sugar off and we're going to believe God. I was maybe see I was reading it's been a year or so ago, and I was at a camp meeting in Mississippi, and a lady came up to me afterwards, and asked me if I'd read some certain information. I'd never heard of it. She said, "Why don't you go read that? I think it'll be something you're interested in." Well, it was kind of unusual, you know. People don't do that much to me. My friends do. They see how illiterate I am. And they try to help me. I'm thankful for it. If it wasn't for Martin Ballister, I wouldn't even have any sermons. Hallelujah. He gives me his throwaways. Praise the Lord. I use them. Hallelujah. If I got to reading about Forgive me, Lord, for lying. Praise God. I was, thank God we don't believe in video. Hallelujah. Nobody saw that. They won't know what that's about on the tape unless you blabber So. But I got to reading about Israel. And I got to reading about some of the miraculous things that have happened to that nation. Do you know that Israel, the modern day nation of Israel, was one day old, one day old, when she was attacked by 12 armies. And Israel didn't even have an army. They had one tank and five cannons. But you know what happened in 1947? Israel won the war in fact every time in our lifetime that Israel has been attacked the United States Pentagon has declared they will lose there's no way they can win every time that's what our Pentagon has said in 1973 at the Yom Kippur war the odds of surviving were so impossible that Prime Minister Golda Meir contemplated suicide The cabinet drew up plans for a government in exile. Annihilation in the world's eyes was an absolute certainty. And the White House was an anti-Semitic president. The most anti-Semitic president that we have ever had sit in the White House. And in the middle of the night, Goldemeyer picked up the phone and called Richard Nixon and asked for help. And he said, I will call you back. He went to his cabinet and they all recommended, don't give him anything at all. He went to his secretary of state. Henry Kissinger, who you would think would be sympathetic to the Israeli cause. These are the words that Kissinger said to Richard Nixon. He said, let the Jews bleed a little. And Richard Nixon went back to his bedroom knowing that his cabinet didn't agree. None of the people he sought as advisors agreed. The whole world didn't agree. But he remembered sitting on his mother's knee. And when he was just a boy, his mother would rock him in the rocking chair. And she said to him over and over again, Richard, someday Israel is going to need help. And you are going to be in a position to give them help. And I'm asking you when that day comes whatever you do give them everything they ask for and he went back to bed and he was torn between the memories of his mother and the current advice of his advisors and he got up the next morning and he told the American military he said here's her list this is what she asked for give her everything that she wanted and they sent the largest military lift in the history of the world since World War II and Israel survived in the face of all odds." She still survived. God uses things and God uses people that we cannot ever understand, but He knows what He's doing. In that war, it's only be about a five minute segment, so hold on. In that war, it's amazing. Nineteen seventy three, the Egyptians in Syria in a pincer movement. Attacked Israel on Yom Kippur. Now when we have a holiday. Most people don't work. But we still have telephones. Airplanes fly. Our structure. Our infrastructure still is operable. But in Israel at that time. It wasn't. Yom Kippur is their highest holy day. Everything was shut down. And so on the southern front. There were 450. Israeli boys. Not even frontline soldiers. And coming across that canal was 80,000 Egyptians. Now, you don't have to be no sharpest blade in the drawer. You don't have to be the brightest light in the chandelier to be able to say, if you got 80,000 men coming against 450 that are not really well trained, probably not going to be very good. The Syrians came down off the Golden Heights with 12 to 1400 of the latest, best, newest tanks in the world. And on the other side were 200 old World War II put out to pasture US tanks. And so you got 1400 tanks coming against 200, and you got 80,000 soldiers coming across. Against 450. But I am here to tell you that Israel won that war. I can't tell you all the reasons that they won that war, but I do want to throw one little idea out. Many, many years before, in fact, about 3,000 years before, there was a situation in Israel where the army of Syria same nation, was coming against Israel, and every time they made a move, the Israeli army was there to stop them. It got in the head of that Syrian king. He said, I want to know what's going on around here. And somebody said, well, I'll tell you what the problem is. It's that man of God over there. Every time you say something, he tells the king, and they're ready to meet you. He hears what you said in your bedroom, boy. He said, wow, where's he at? They said, Oh, he's down at such and such. He said, Well, let's go knock him out and then we can win this war. They said, Okay. So they went down and surrounded that city. And when Elisha and his servant woke up the next morning and looked out the gates of the city, there were Syrian chariots by the thousands. And Elisha was cool as a cucumber. And his servant said, <laughs> Uh, what, 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 what are we gonna do? Elisha said, What's he worried about? He said, They that are with us are more than's with them. I love this story. Because I can just see him, he's going. She said, Oh Lord, open his eyes. Remember the story? And he opened his eyes, and on the hills all around them were chariots of fire. God's miraculous hand was there, and God delivered them. Can I tell you what happened in 1973? Some 3,000 years later, those Syrians came rolling off the Golden Heights with their brand new tanks. They were tearing up, Jack. The Israelis were down to seven tanks. Seven. They were led by a man by the name of Kahalani. Cahadlani fought in the 67 war, been burned terribly, over like 65% of his body. Been through like 16 or 18 major surgeries. He was so disabled, they listed him on his his military papers at about a 37 or something like that. They have a number system, 1 to 100. And so he goes in by night, sneaks in, finds his file, erases that, and changes it to 90. So he can go back out and fight some more. And he's the guy leading these seven tanks. He'd been in the battle before. And so here they come. They come around a corner, and here's this armada of Syrian tanks. And he tells his gunner, shoot. The guy says, I can't see him. He's looking through his little deal. He's like, I can't see him. I can't see him. He said, shoot. It'd be like holding the gun, and there's this big old guy right in front of me. It doesn't matter. Just pull the trigger, dude. He's like, I can't see Finally, Colin said, I said shoot. And he shot, knocked one out, boom. And he started knocking them out. They were down to seven tanks against 1,200 Syrian tanks. And Kahalani said, let's go, boys. Let's go fight. And they were like... What are you talking about? He said, let's go, let's go. And they froze. They wouldn't. He said, well, you can stay. I'm going. And he slammed it in gear. And here he went. Seven tanks against 1,200. And all of a sudden, as they're rolling out across that plain, this is a historical fact. They looked, and all of those Syrian tanks, the, pop, the top popped open. And they started crawling out. And those guys took off running. They left their tanks. 1,200 of them left them out there. And they took off running. The Israelis are like, what's this all about? They asked the Syrians, why did you run? They said, everywhere we looked, there was Israeli tanks. Everywhere we turned, there were tanks everywhere. You know what that tells me? That an old victory never dies. That tells me that if it happened 3,000 years ago, it can happen tonight. That's why it doesn't matter if the crib's empty. That's why it don't matter if there's no fruit on the vine. Because he's still God. If he's ever done it in any church, he can do it in yours. If you've ever even heard about a revival, you can have it in your church if somebody makes up their mind. I'm going to sing the Shiganoth. off. How will rejoice. How will joy Just give me a few more minutes. Maybe see. Pardon any personal reference. I don't mean this to be anything but to tell you something God did is wonderful. I was preaching revivals. Man, guys were good to me. They kept me a long time. I was preaching about five revivals a year. They were so good to me. But I wasn't seeing a lot of people pray through And to be quite honest, it was just eating me up. And I was down in Mississippi... Had a revival. And I told the Lord. I said, God, I'm going to fast and pray. And I'm going to ask you for three things. But I'm not even going to say it out of my mouth. I will not utter the word. I don't even want that much of a chance that the devil can hear it. And send me some false deal. I was so sincere. And I began to pray. I am telling you before God. The three things I asked God for never crossed my lips. They were right here. But I prayed them hard. And I was at several days into a fast. I was laying on a couch, had service that night. I was laying on a couch, and the phone rang by my head. Now, I'm 58 years old, been preaching 35 years, and I've never to this day answered anybody's phone. And why I did that day, I don't know. But I did. I was laying on that couch, and without thinking, I was praying at the time, and I reached over and picked up that phone and said, Hello. And the voice on the other end of the line was a woman who I consider to be a prophetess. If I called her name, several of you would know her. She didn't say, hello. She didn't say, is this Brother Bo? It went just like this. I'm laying there praying for these three things. And the phone rang. Unlisted number. Nobody knows the number unless it's given out. She's many, many miles away. I pick up the phone and I say, hello. She said, you have asked God for three things. These are the three things. She told me what I had been thinking in prayer for over a week. And she said, and this is your answer. I'm not going to tell you all the other two, but one of them was that God would help me become a harvester of souls. Not just preach revivals, but harvest souls. And she had a scripture that said you will become a threshing instrument in the hand of the Lord. You can believe what you want, but starting that night, in that revival, 32 people prayed through in the next four weeks. I went to the next revival and in eight weeks, 56 people prayed through to the Holy Ghost. I went to the next revival and in 12 weeks, 62 people received the gift of the Holy Ghost I went to the next revival and 87 people prayed through 10 brand new families mom, dad and children I'm here to tell you when you get desperate when you start sicking off when you make up your mind It's it's not because of me it was because of God One of those revivals was the springs. You were there. Now we had some stuff happen in that revival. God will help you. He helps dumb, ignorant people. I promise you he does. I'm a living witness of that. All the saints in the springs. I did outreach, you know, and then after I left, they they did even more. We had, I don't know, 60 or so get the Holy Ghost, 62. I, I got all the names somewhere. But after I left, uh, Elder Johnson called me back first year. He said, since you've left in the last few months, we baptized 140. And so they had a great move of God in that, in that church. But I remember I was at outreach, and I told some of the saints, I said, well, I'm going to go on outreach. They said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go in those apartments across the street. They said, oh, no, go there. I said, why? They said, oh, we've been knocked on them doors about 10 times. I said, oh, okay. But I, in my heart, I said, I'm going anyway. Nothing like a stubborn preacher. Either. I went over there and knocked on the doors the next day. because We just had regular service. We had a few. men. we had reg- Wednesday night, Friday night, and Sunday for many months. That's all we had. So Saturday, I went and knocked on the door. There's a man came to the door. I slipped him up and down. I said, well, I don't know. I don't know if you're the kind I'm looking for or not. He said, what are you talking about? I said, well, I'm looking for a real man. I, said, I don't know. He said, what are you talking about? You're looking for a real man. I said, well, you see that church across the street over there? And he said, yeah, I see it. I said, we only look for real men to go to our church. I just don't know if you cut the mustard. <laughs> I really did. I said, you'd probably be offended. You probably will not like the loud music. You, 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 you know, thank, uh, never mind. And he said, wait just a minute. <laughs> this really happened. I said, yeah. He said, what time is your church Sunday morning? I said, dude, you don't know what you're getting into. He said, what time is it? I said, I think it was 10. I don't know when it was. Whenever it was, I I told him. I said, okay, we'll see what you got. Walked off. Sunday morning, he came in with an attitude. I got tickled. I was like, hey, there's the guy. And the saint said, where's he from? I said, oh, he's from those apartments over there. They're like, what? Of course, you know the story. I wouldn't be telling it if it wasn't good, you know. That morning, he went to the altar, repented, got the Holy Ghost, got baptized in Jesus' name. Don't be talking to me about burned over fields. Don't be talking to me about people don't want God. Get you a signal off down inside of you. Get you a dithyram. Get you something that'll make you shout. If the crib is empty, if the vine is don't have... I'm going to praise you anyway. I'd like to see revival break out in this place. You couldn't even have church here next year. Heritage conference got so big. You had so many revivals. I'm telling you, is God handicapped that he can't do it? No. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he's ever done it before, he can do it again. I'm almost done. Sit down. Be seated. I don't know if you remember this, Brother Burgess, but on the last night of that revival, we had a good service, and I think we had about eight people in the altar. Maybe eight got the Holy Ghost. I don't know, but it was a, it was an altar full of people. And there was a woman in that altar that kind of scared me. Uh, first place, she was she was healthy. Is that the proper <laughs> term? Is that politically correct enough for you? <laughs> and uh, At least physically. And uh, it was in the old church. I think Brother Burgess said that night. She was praying right down here. And I, I, you know, we was praying, going around, and having a good revival. And at this point, almost 60 had received the Holy Ghost, so we were all excited. And, uh, but I just, man, I didn't feel much like praying with her. I'd go by and I'd get these weird vibes. It's like... Get out. And, and uh, the ladies prayed with her. And pretty soon she got the victory. They prayed her through to the Holy Ghost. And the uh, service was winding down. And she's down there, tears rolling down her face. And she looked up and she waved at me like that. And I was looking at her like. <laughs> she said, come here. And I remember thinking, hmm. What? How bad can she hurt me in front of 500 people, you know? So I kind of eased over there. And I said, yeah. She said, I want to give you something. Well, when you're an evangelist, that's like the most bad thing they can say. Because if it's money, you don't want them giving you money. If it's a gift, you, and if it's anything, and you know, you just, I'm like, oh, yeah? And she reaches in her purse and fumbles around. And then I really got scared. She pulls out a scalpel, like doctors use to do surgery. I started backing up, baby. I was like. (laughs) She said, come here. And I went over there, and I noticed it did have a protective cover on it, thank God. She said, I want to give this to you. I'm thinking, you know, I've been offered a lot of things in preaching, but never a scalpel. I'm like this. And everybody else would pray, you know. And I said, why are you giving me this? It's one of the most touching moments of my whole life. She reached up and pulled the sleeves back. I wish you could have seen the scars. She said, I've tried to kill myself with the scalpel over 80 times in my life. She said, but tonight something happened to me that has never happened. She said, every time I've tried to kill myself, those voices were in my head telling me, to do it she said tonight when these ladies started praying with me I felt those voices begin to go out of my body she said I don't understand it but she said when I felt the last one go I started speaking in a language I've never heard she said I feel clean for the first time in my life I want you to have this preacher because I won't be needing it anymore (laughs) hallelujah if it's ever happened before it can happen again Drug addicts can be delivered. Suicide can be rebuked. I'm telling you, you can have a sick off that said, God, somebody out there. Be seated for just a moment. I put it in my Bible and carried it for many years. In fact, I carried it until the TSA folks told me I couldn't take it on a plane no more. I carried it as a reminder Of the power of God and the deliverance of God. I still have it at home in a little place with my little preaching mementos. And every now and then I take out that little green scalpel and think, God, you're wonderful. It makes me want to rejoice, it makes me want to joy, it makes me want to sing enthusiastically, it makes me want to get crazy. To think that our God can do those kinds of things that a psychiatrist can't do, that medicine can't do, but the power of God can do. I want the musicians to come back, but don't get ready to sing yet. Don't get excited about that, but you can be seated. Hope these little stories don't bore you, because I'm trying to build your faith a little bit. I was preaching revival, and this guy was testifying to another guy at work. And uh, the guy who was testifying to him said, whoa, whoa, stop. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. That's a bunch of hocus pocus. So they got into it. One day, two days, three days, four days, five days. A couple, three weeks anyway. I was there for several weeks in revival. And uh, it got so heated that the guy that went to church finally looked at him. He said, I dare you to put God to the test. I dare you. What's he got to lose? The guy don't even believe in God, you know. And the guy didn't say nothing. He just looked at him. But when he got home that night, he said, he told us all this later. Come on, musicians. Are you getting close? Right. I want that group that sang before church. First, that rejoice song. Get that one. That's the one I like. <laughs> Being as I'm preaching, I get to pick the song too. And uh, so this atheist, he got to eating on him. So when he got off work, he went home and called a taxi cab driver. Ladies and gentlemen, what I'm about to tell you is one of the craziest things you'll ever hear in your whole life, but it happened. He calls this taxi. Don't start playing yet. Just stand there and look pretty. You might a handsome dude. I wish I had hair like that. In fact, I wish I was as skinny as you. That makes me mad. Jeez. Here I am, Pudgy Joe, and he's slam, tram. You married, dude? Are you married? No? Check it out, girls. <laughs> hey, never know, dude. Uh, I'll give you a few minutes before you have to play so you can. So this atheist comes home and he's he's a little ticked. He says, "Okay, God. I think you're something? You really up there?" Okay. So he calls a taxi cab. And a cab pulls up in front of his house and he goes out and gets in the back seat and throws a 20 dollar bill on the seat and says, "Just drive." Taxi cab driver said, "Wait a minute, bud. What is this?" He said, "Just drive. I'll tell you what to do." And the atheist sitting in the back seat. He said, okay, God, if you're really real, take me to the church where so-and-so goes to church. And just sits back. Pretty big town. And he start driving. And the taxi cab driver, he ain't buying into this stuff. He's like, look, where, where do I go? He said, oh, turn up here at the next corner. So you turn, they drive around. He said, turn at this one over here. And that atheist, he's so smug. Well, God got to told me it's really real. Where are you? He was really cocky about it. And uh, they drove for about 45 minutes. I'm getting ready to preach. And it's one of them small buildings. Didn't have air conditioning because so they had all the windows up. And I look out and I see all this take place. He's in the back seat. By this time, he's put a couple more 20s over the seat. And the taxi cab driver says, look, I'm not going to do this all night. Where are we going? And finally, the atheist says, okay, God. I gave you plenty of chances, take me home. They just happened to be on a street that was a dead-end street. You had to go down and turn around. And the only place to turn around was the church that he challenged God to take him to. (laughs) The taxi cab pulls in to turn around and he's so smug, and he turned and looked, and standing right by the window, in the open window, was the guy he worked with. He was dumbstruck. He said, oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. He couldn't believe it. He had challenged God, and God had done exactly what he asked him to do. So I'm seeing this. This is cool. So I'm watching this. I, I don't know who he is. All I see is a taxi cab pull up. And I see a guy get out of the taxi and just stand there with his stupid look on his face. Looking in the window. And I'm wondering, what's this all about, you know? And the pastor gives me the service. And I walk up to the pulpit. And that guy, the cab driver leaves. He told the guy, go. i got to go in this building. He walks in. And the guy that from work doesn't see him. Because he's up toward the front. This guy just kind of sits in the back. This is weird. Okay. You know God. He's awesome the way he does things. But here I am preaching. Mr. Redneck preacher. And I start preaching about all kind of crazy stuff. I studied world religions because I thought someday I might meet an Asiatic and I want to be able to talk about the Da Da Ching and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, Mr. Smarty Britches, I think I can learn some stuff. And so I go out and I read the Bhagavad Gita and study it and read about 150 of the 600 Upanishads. I'm like, I can't handle this no more. And so I thought, I'll, 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 maybe the Buddhist. I can read that. And I read the Diamond Sutra and the Sutra of Hunei, and I'm like, man, I don't get this either. And, and I, you know, I read all this stuff. I read the Koran. I read all of that. just to try, And that night... I just start preaching all that crazy stuff. I'm like, and you think, boy, I'm going off on the Diamond Sutra and I'm going off on the Tao De Ching and I'm going off on Confucius and I, man, I'm just. Unknown to me for five years, that's all he had studied. And the Holy Ghost brought him to that service. And the Holy Ghost dropped it in my heart. I didn't even finish preaching. He said, This is way too much. There's no way they know what I've been studying. God brought me. He got up out of his chair, stumbled to the frontier, said, Somebody pray with me. Somebody pray with me. We prayed him through to the Holy Ghost and baptized him in Jesus' name. I'm here to tell you if the barns are empty, if there's no fruit on the vine, if there's nothing, you go home and have you a little off. You go home and do your little dance. And you begin to tell the world God is good. Come on, singers! Somebody lift your hands and give Him praise. Can you do that, one? Somebody give Him a praise. Somebody give Him a off. Somebody give Him a, a dizzy round. Somebody say, my God is good. My God is good.
1: Why don't you come on to the front, young people? We're gonna sing about it. Come on, get out, come on. Come on. Give him a ditty round. My God is good. My God is good. My God is good. Come Come on, young people. Come on, young people. Learn how to do a sugar Take it home with you.
0: Check